I have my Bible open before me right here to Matthew chapter 11. And I want to read the opening verses of chapter 11. I'm heading right to the preliminary look at the word. And you'll notice a little parenthetic phrase I have underneath of our total, a distraught prisoner. When you first read or read this passage, did you have a hard time believing what you just read? Well, let's read it right now. Matthew chapter 11. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John had heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. There is... So much, so, so much in this passage to look at. But it is a good passage to lead us into what we're going to be looking at today as Christian and hopeful come to giant despair, Doubting Castle. A distraught prisoner, John the Baptist is in the fortress of Machaerus. Now, our text didn't tell us that, but we know that to be a fact. The fortress of Machaerus is located 
near the Dead Sea. It was located in a rather dismal area. John's physical condition was rather dismal, but his mental condition, I think, was even more dismal. A shocking but honest question from John. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? That's why I asked the question at the beginning. And I know all of you are familiar with this. This is, this is nothing new. It's not anything new. You probably heard a number of sermons or Sunday school lessons or whatever on this. But I think still there's something kind of shocking or rattling about it, isn't there? It's kind of like when you read 1 Kings chapter 19. What do you read about there? That's Elijah. That's Elijah running before the face of Jezebel and running and running and running and coming to the place where he says, take my life, Lord. I'm the only one that's left. The only one. Now, what happened in 1 Kings 19? The Lord very compassionately ministered to Elijah. Immediately, he provided for the physical needs that he had But he commissioned him for further ministry and provided an understudy, if you will, for him, named Elisha. There was more work for him to do. God was not finished with him yet. Uh, A shocking but honest question from John the Baptist here. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And what we see as the text unfolds here is the tender compassion of not only a loving Savior, but our loving Savior. A demonstration. Go tell John what you see, what you hear and see. And what are the things that were enumerated? Various of the miracles that Jesus was doing. Reality. Real miracles that Jesus was doing. Among them, the dead are raised to life. The good news is preached. And then a confirmation, and I know we're going through this rather quickly here, but then what I would call a confirmation where Jesus says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. A solemn declaration of John's greatness. This is is introduced with the words, truly, I say to you, John had announced the arrival of the Messiah. That contributed to his greatness, to be sure. John had emphasized the necessity of repentance for those who would enter Messiah's kingdom. That contributes to his greatness. And third of all, when the one he had announced had arrived on the scene, John had gladly receded into the background. What does John 3.30 say? He must increase, but I must decrease. And understanding that in that particular context gives it so much more weight and meaning. Like I said, there's so much in that text that we could look at further, but I have just one last statement here. It's in the form of a question. Was John the Baptist Elijah? No, but yes. <laughs> I love questions that can be answered that way. No, but yes. How can we say no? Well, Elijah's dead and gone. Elijah hasn't raised, been raised from the dead. But how, on what basis can we say yes? On the very basis that Jesus said this is Elijah. Elijah. 
So, like Elijah, he, he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. We know that from the very beginning, from the details that we read concerning his birth, uh, the annunciation to his father, Zechariah. <clears throat> That's an important passage. It's an important passage to study. <clears throat> it's an important passage to be familiar with. Just like First Corinthians, First uh, Kings, chapter 19 is important to be familiar with too. If we love the life of Elijah the prophet, and who cannot love the extraordinary ministry of Elijah the prophet, that is a part of it. James said Elijah was a man of like passions such as we are, a frail man. But, as James puts it, but he prayed. <laughs> and when he prayed, things happened. The heavens were shut up, and then the heavens were open again, among, among other things that happened. But <clears throat> let's move on here. <clears throat> Bypath Meadow. Bypath Meadow. Since the way was now rough, they became discouraged. <laughs> Do you know anything about that? <laughs> when things get rough, when the going gets rough, kind of getting a bit discouraged? I think so. Probably I'm not alone. I certainly I certainly would admit to that. A short way further, they saw on the left of the road a stile leading into a meadow. <clears throat> Behold, a stile has just appeared on the screen. Now, if you've ever traveled in England, and some of you no doubt have, you know there are lots of stone walls and rather narrow roads as well. Lots of stone walls dividing the fields and so on. This is the greatest picture I can find of a style. There's even little steps that have been built into this and a little bit of an opening there so you can get through there without having to climb up the rocks and over there. It's kind of a convenient way. And that's what they saw. Christian determined that the path on the other side was easier than the one that they were on right now. If you look further at the page, Hopeful was concerned that the path would take them out of the way, mm -hmm. but he deferred to Christian because of his age. Christian was older, was more mature, and so they crossed the stile, and lo and behold, it became easier. Now, uh, there's, there's all kinds of things to talk about just with regard to that, isn't there? There is. Is it possible for more mature Christians to lead less mature Christians out of the way to the wrong path? Oh, it is. It is. And those of you, or those of us, I should rather say, who are more mature Christians need to be very wise and very careful lest we do anything that will damage, that will hurt younger Christians. Because younger Christians will follow us. We'll follow our example. We'll follow our counsel. So, 
Hopeful is concerned, but hopeful defers. And lo and behold, when they go over there, it seems like it seems like it was just like just like Christian had said. It is easier. It is easier. You know what came to my mind in this regard? A, a little a, a little picture, as it were, from the Apostle Paul's voyage to Rome, which is recorded in great, great detail in Acts 27 and 28. Amazing detail. When they came to Fair Havens, and it had been difficult getting to Fair Havens. They had gone against contrary winds and all that. They finally came to Fair Havens, and it's getting near wintertime. It's getting near the time when the seas will be closed. And Fair Havens was not a harbor that would be commodious so to speak, to winter in. So they decided to sail a little bit further to Phoenix or Phenice, further to the west on the island of Crete. And the next morning, you know what? A soft wind blew. A soft wind blew. Perfect. Perfect. Thought it confirmed their decision. And what happened? Very quickly, that soft wind turned into what is called Eurocliden or Eurocluron. And they were blown they were blown off course to say the least and feared that they would be blown onto the quicksands of North Africa. But they thought that they had achieved their purpose when the soft wind was blowing. It was a poor decision. Paul told him it was a poor decision. Well, let's get back with Christian here. They meet another character now. Another character appears in this story, and this character is named <clears throat> Vain Confidence. We're not told a whole lot about Vain Confidence, but these things we are told. He was a traveler ahead of them. Remember now, they're on the wrong side of the wall. There's a traveler ahead of them who declared that the road that they were all on now led to the celestial gate. Almost in the very same sentence, we don't have to read a couple more paragraphs till we come to this, almost in the very same sentence, we read that darkness fell and in the darkness of the night they heard him, that is they heard vain confidence, fall into a deep pit that had been made by the prince of those grounds. That's not our prince, the prince of those grounds that they were on now. So vain confidence fell into that pit. The third of your arrowheads there, when they called out to him to find out what happened, there was no answer, but they heard groaning. Groaning. And then we begin to read about this dreadful storm. A dreadful storm. By the way, um, seem to be indications that we may experience a dreadful storm on Tuesday. True or false? If you're listening to the news and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's what they said about yesterday. Well, <laughs> this, is, this is true. This is true. This is true. This is true. Not one of Jim Cantore's biggest fans sitting in this row here. But meanwhile, back in a dreadful storm here. Uh, listen. As Christian began to mistrust his judgment for bringing them this way, 
They were caught in a heavy storm with rain and thunder and lightning and rising water. Christian began to mistrust his judgment for bringing them this way. Hopeful lamented coming this way. Christian asked forgiveness. He asked for Hopeful to forgive him. And what happened then? Hopeful forgave him, right? Hopeful forgave him right away. Hopeful didn't try to put him through any grinder to make him feel bad for a long time. There was genuine lament and repentance and genuine forgiveness that was given. But meanwhile, this storm is raging. In this, we read, and you see this in the third arrowhead under this point. As they debated between them who should lead the way as they attempted to get back to the stile, they were encouraged to hear a voice. It doesn't identify where the voice comes from or whatever, but this is certainly a voice with divine connections, to be sure. And the voice said, Let your heart be towards the highway, even the way that you went. Turn Again, that's the voice that came to them. They came, I I almost smile when I read the way Bunyan writes this. They came close to drowning nine or ten times. (laughs) Nine or ten times. To emphasize the fact that this was extremely, extremely dangerous. I mean, storms are scary to begin with, but at night... How much more scary was that? And apparently the rain was so hard that it was causing floods that brought them close to drowning on a number of occasions just during the night here. Now, before you come to the next point in the notes that I have, I have another slide for you here. And this is an insert by Bunyan. And I I want you to read this. I read it a couple times. Then I thought that it is easier going out of the way when we're in it than going in when we are out. (laughs) You, You understand what that says? Then I thought that it is easier going out of the way when we are in it than going in when we are out. What does that mean? What does it mean? It's, Rachel? It's easier to slip up and, and go in the wrong direction than it is to go back into the right direction when you've gone out. Do I, I, you guys agree with that? Yeah, yeah. It's easier to slip up and get detoured from the right way than it is to get back to the right way from the wrong way. You know, that's that's worth thinking about. That's worth thinking about when you lay down tonight. <laughs> I don't know whether you remember this quote or not, but thinking about that. Maybe maybe we can even think of personal illustrations of that. 
you know. On the grounds of the owner of Downing Castle. This is under the heading Giant Despair. Little did they know, but they were sleeping on the grounds of the owner of a nearby castle named Doubting Castle. Now, I would suspect that there are some of you in here who have seen the uh, Revelation Media uh, Pilgrim's Progress that was made not that many years ago and so on. I, I kind of I, I kind of chuckle at this when they are in this terrible storm looking for shelter and they finally found shelter. What did it turn out to be? <laughs> Rachel? It was one of the giant's shoes. That's that's the way they depicted it in here. And I don't think Bunyan had that in mind necessarily, but it's sort of a humorous element added by the people who did this. I, I think if I, I think that the stench in there would have been, uh, you know, would have killed them both probably. <laughs> but anyhow, they did find shelter, and then what? Uh-oh. Let's read. When the owner, the owner of the castle, his name is Giant Despair, arose in the morning. As he was walking in his fields, he found the pilgrims still sleeping. He accused them of trespassing and forced them to go with him to the castle where they were put into a dark dungeon where they remained. And we are told these specifics, not every time in the story are we told the exact specifics of days of the week and how many days passed by. But here we're told that they stayed in that situation from Wednesday until Saturday night. <coughs> and we're told that they had no food, no drink, no light, no companion. That'd be rough for a day or two, but Wednesday till Saturday night. Giant despair and diffidence. You did notice, didn't you, that diffidence is the name that Bunyan gives to Giant Despair's wife. Now, <clears throat> again, I, I, I'm, I'm humored, and that's probably the purpose of this. But I'm humored by the illustrations that they gave in here. That is a very close-up of Giant Despair looking into the place where Christian and Hopeful are. And I turn a couple more pages here, and that is a picture of his lovely wife. <laughs> right there. And the, the conversation that they have together, and I can still hear Diffident saying, I could have married any giant, and I married you, and so on. But anyhow, here we go. Giant despair, using some of the tools that help us to understand what's intended by Bunyan here. Giant despair represents the huge oppressive weight that hangs over one who falls into doubt and despair. 
Was there a huge oppressive weight hanging on John the Baptist in the fortress of Machaerus? Yeah, there was. Was there a huge oppressive weight resting on Elijah the prophet as he ran and ran and ran before the face of Jezebel? Yes, there was. Have you ever had a huge oppressive weight hanging over you? Well, I have. I don't know if anybody wants to join me on that one or not, but I have. It's like being under the thumb of a giant. How about diffidence? That's a little bit harder. Diffidence represents the oppressive weight that hangs over one who has lost confidence in what God can do. One who has lost confidence in what God can do. That's a woeful state too, isn't it? Really woeful. And so they are quite the pair here. I think diffidence is not really <clears throat> remembered that well for those, by those who have somewhat of an acquaintance with Pilgrim's Progress. The giant despair is remembered very well. But they're a pair. They are. <clears throat> while they are in this condition, uh, <clears throat> Christian and hopeful are beaten fearfully, beaten without mercy, with a crabtree cudgel. They're beaten. Beaten badly. They had no strength except for sighing and lamentations because of that state that they were in. Diffidence further advised the giant to tell the prisoners to take their own lives. Make that suggestion to them. Ah, Curse God and die, right? Curse God and be done with it. Yeah. Yeah, you can't help but think of that. And and they were even provided with the means of, you know, the possible means of doing, maybe some rope, maybe a knife, and whatever. That is really, really a sad condition. Now, with respect to giant despair, I thought that's a most interesting illustration in one of the books. The giant himself was subject to occasional fits or seizures, which caused the loss of use of his hands. Sometimes he would, he would stumble and fall. Uh, he had these fainting fits, if you will. That's one of the characteristics of him in this whole story. In the grip of despair, Christian considers the unthinkable. What's that mean? Christian considered taking his life. He considered taking his life. Can a true Christian really do something like that? Um, yes. Yes is the answer. And then Hopeful counsels his brother. Now I want you to look at the notes here because I entered something in the notes that I really didn't uh, have on a long slide here. 
the first bullet on this page. Christian, uh, the pilgrims began to discuss among themselves whether to take their lives or not. Christian began to consider the advantage of doing so. Hopeful responds by giving reasons why he should not do so. Among others, he said, number one, the Lord of the country to which we are going said, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not kill. One of the commandments. Second thing, for one to kill himself is to kill body and soul at once. Now, that's an interesting one, and I really like to look more at that, what's involved in that. The third point, to think that there is ease in the grave forgets that hell awaits murderers. Now, stop and think about that one for a minute, too. There's disagreement among Christians. There's disagreement among good Christian scholars, even, with regard to the matter of suicide and whether suicide is not the unpardonable sin, but an unpardonable sin. Can a Christian commit suicide? Can a Christian commit suicide? I can just see from some nods of the heads in here that there's even disagreement among us. Well, so we missed the sermon this morning. Well, I did That's that. What he was talking about. Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you're saved, you're saved. Yeah, yeah. And and do you think Bunyan believed that too? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Bunyan was sound in his doctrine, but we do come up with problem areas like this area. Now. I, I probably had best preface this next statement with these words. Do not raise your hands on this. Do not. But have any of you ever known anybody who has committed suicide? Okay. Some have. Some have known an individual who has committed suicide. Yeah. It's a tough, it's a tough point. It is. It's a tough point. But we can look in scripture and find some examples here too. Who's the first one that comes to your mind that committed suicide? Judas. Well, Judas, of course. Judas. Now, is Judas a saved individual? He was a son of perdition. Yeah, absolutely not. I think we could all be in agreement on that one easily and emphatically. No, he was not. But... Uh, and again, I didn't prepare to uh, delve into this this far. What do we got? About ten of, quarter of. Um, Saul kind of did. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. and that's a dif- difficult mean, account to harmonize. Did, yeah. Right, right. It is. But nevertheless, they are asked that, and hopeful is counseling him. I got stuck on one of his points here, but there's more that he says. So let's go on. Number four, others who were formerly prisoners here have escaped. So he says others have escaped here. Perhaps we can too. Number five, perhaps giant despair will die or maybe forget to lock us in. And that'd be an easy way to leave, to get out. Number six, if he has one of those fits again and loses the use of his limbs, we can try to escape. And then number seven, 
be patient. The time may come that we may that may give us a happy release. Hopeful is counseling Christian. Do not further consider this end to your life. Do not. The younger brother, the the lesser saint, is counseling the more mature saint. With these words, did he moderate the mind of his brother? Next one. When the giant found that they had still not taken their lives, he fell into a grievous rage and threatened them severely, causing them to tremble and for Christian to swoon. Once again, Hopeful sought to encourage him by reminding him how valiant he had been previously. Number one, Christian, Apollyon could not crush him. Christian, remember, he made it through the valley of the shadow of death. Christian, be reminded, he was courageous at Vanity Fair in spite of chain, cage, and the threat of death. The giant then took them into the castle yard and showed them the bones and skulls of former pilgrims and told them that within 10 days that that would be their fate too. Within 10 days. So their, their condition is worsening here and prevailing prayer in the, in the darkest gloom. In the darkest gloom. By Saturday, the condition of the pilgrims was lamentable and after the giants went to bed, they discussed the prisoners once again. Giant and his wife, diffidence, discussing what to do to them. Uh, Giant despair wondered if he would prevail, and diffidence thought that they might have picklocks on their persons. Yes, my dear, I'll search them in the morning, was his dutiful reply. At about midnight, at about midnight, the pilgrims, midnight what day? Saturday, at about midnight Saturday, the pilgrims began to pray and continued until almost the break of day. A little before daylight, Christian broke out in a passionate speech. What a fool am I, thus to lie in a stinking dungeon when I may as well walk at liberty. I have a key in my bosom called promise that will I am persuaded open any lock in doubting castle and without with that their escape was made great picture the key where's the key in the picture see the key anywhere yeah right there right here here's the key the pilgrims, there they are, in the lead. The giant, flat on his face once again. The key, the pilgrims, the giant on the ground, and their escape was made good. Looking at this next notation here, this next arrowhead, the creaking of one of the gates as it was opened 
awakened the giant who hastily arose to pursue the prisoners, but once again he fell into a fit and could not go after them. Look at my note here, you guys. Note, giant despair will not die of old age. How does he die? I'm not going to tell you right now. But I would love to tell you one of these days, and maybe I will. We'll see. When they left there, they wrote a warning. Now, as you read it in the book, it's a pillar, and it's inscribed on the side of the pillar. I kind of put it in the form of a you know, placard or something like that. But it says this, over this stile is the way to Doubting Castle, which is kept by giant despair, who despises the king of the celestial country and who seeks to destroy his holy pilgrims. A warning to any who would come by. Now, I put two pictures on the screen so far. Who's the first picture I put on? Bunyan. It's John Bunyan. Unmistakably, John Bunyan. Young Spurgeon. Young Spurgeon is the second picture. Young Spurgeon. We don't usually see the pictures of Spurgeon when he was young. Here's a third picture now. Ah, it's a silhouette. It's a silhouette. So it could be, well, it could be whoever. The key of promise. The key of promise. Now, I've given you a whole page here. Let me check our time once again here. You're a pretty sharp bunch, I would say here. Pretty sharp. So, what I have done is listed a number of statements that represent a number of the promises that God has given to us in his word. And I liken these to the key of promise that can bring you out of a pretty dark place. Where are these found? That's the question. Now we have like five minutes left here. Can we put our heads together? And uh, First one, I will never leave you or forsake you. Where's that? Where is it now? Matthew 28, 20. Matthew 8, Matthew 28, 20. I had another reference in mind here. Lo, I am with you always. Yeah. Hebrews 13, 5 states this precisely. Hebrews 13, 5. That's God's promise to us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. No one can pluck you out of my hand. Where is that found? John chapter 10. 27 to 29, we had that this morning. Okay, 27 to 29, great verse. Yeah, great verse. Now, you all understand why I didn't hear that this morning. I didn't want to sit amongst the congregation and infect anybody. Uh, I do have a pretty good handle on that point, that fifth point, though. <laughs> Number three, God causes all things to work together for good. Romans 8, 28, of course. Greater is he that is in you. First John. Four four. First John four four. Call unto me and I will answer you. 
and show you great and mighty things. Jeremiah 33.3. Jeremiah 33.3. The Lord reigns. Now, there's a number of places that, that use that wording. I wrote down Psalm 97.1. That psalm begins with those words, the Lord reigns. Next one, he who has begun a good work in you will finish it. Philippians 1, 6. Philippians 1, 6. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and will forgive us our sins. 1 John 1, 9. Here's another one. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear for you are with me. Psalm 23, 4. And the last one, one of my very best favorites. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Psalm 63 and verse 8. Psalm 63 and verse 8. You guys, the key, the key of promise. Boom. There's all the verses that we just looked at. All of them. There's more to come. All promises from God, the God who keeps his promises. Are these all the promises that we have in Scripture? Nowhere near close. Nowhere near close. How can we discover more promises? I'll read the Bible more. <laughs> that would be a simple solution, wouldn't it? Read the Bible more. Well, with that, we've actually been to Castle Despair and came out of it. That's almost almost too quick to go in and out. Vicki? Um, I was just thinking of Paul had been in Castle Despair. And Second hmm. Corinthians... Second Corinthians one write it down, you guys, on the bottom of your sheet. Second Corinthians one. Yeah. 